and uh, let's, let's go to the word uh, together. So, uh, as we're on, we've been in a, we started a series uh, in the book of Luke, um, but today to uh, have a, 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 a message together that will really quicken our hearts and prepare our hearts for this year in faith, what it means to walk by faith, to live by faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7, that we do not walk by sight, but we walk by faith. So that's what we want to focus on this morning. And our text is from Psalm uh, 78. Let me just read it to you. You can listen as I read it to you. Uh, it says this, Psalm 78.40. And of course, this is a historical psalm in the sense that it is rehearsing the history of Israel with incredible lessons all for all believers through the ages and us uh, gathered tonight. Incredible lessons from their, list, their history. And he says this, how often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. I'll put it up on the screen. We'll read it together one more time. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again and again and again. Actually, 10 times it's recorded that there were specific times, rebellions, where the people murmured or didn't believe something that God was going to do or provide Again and again, they tempted God, and listen to this phrase, and limited the Holy One of Israel. So again, the emphasis here in this passage is the, the psalmist is looking back to that period, that particular generation coming out of Egypt through the wilderness, and how repeatedly they murmured against God, they had unbelief, they had rebellion uh, and find that final rebellion at Kadesh Barnea, where they did not enter into the land, but ended up wandering for another 40 years or so in the wilderness. In the book of Hebrews, it looks back to this same event, and it says in 3.12, it's a warning for the New Testament believers, that's us. It says, beware, brethren, lest there be any of you, in any of you, an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I don't know about you, I find that quite sobering when I hear that, when I listen to that, when I read the end of Hebrews 3 into Hebrews 4. A sober warning for the New Testament believer to take heed, be careful, uh, be, be, be aware, be sober, be awake, and have a determination in our hearts of how we go forwards. Beware and exhort one another daily. That's what we're doing here today. That's what we do in the fellowship. There is an exhortation, an encouragement that we would live by faith. Alison said to me, what are you, you going to preach on uh, tonight, Dad? And I said, uh, on faith. And she says, isn't it always about faith? <laughs> and I thought, oh, that's true. 
in a way it is, isn't it? Every message is about faith, where the word connects with our life. This is not abstract or theory. This connects with our daily lives, for we are Christians. We are people of God who are called to live by faith and not by sight. That phrase there at the end of the verse where it says, look at the four things that are highlighted there. They provoked him, they grieved him, they tempted or tested him, and limited him. It's quite something, isn't it? Maybe it strikes you as strange to think that they could limit God or that we could limit God somehow, but that's what it says. How could it be that we could have a limiting effect towards God. Now, uh, when we think about sovereignty, this comes back to this, uh, the age-old question about sovereignty, God being sovereign and man's free will, and how do they relate to each other? How do we reconcile them? And I personally believe that there is uh, a, a certain understanding of sovereignty that the church has adopted at large which is not balanced. And I, of course, we believe God is sovereign. But in the sense, if you take the dictionary sense of what the word sovereign means, it means that, that uh, he is the ultimate uh, authority in rank and ability, in power. He is self-governing. He has complete power and authority to govern, to decide, and to act. We wouldn't question that, right? God is God. He is sovereign. No one is telling him what to do. In that sense, yes, God is sovereign. But there's another sense that people take sovereignty to mean that God is controlling every aspect of our life in this fatalistic sense that we are robots or chess pieces and we have a will but it's not really a free will and God is in control. And I find that to be a little bit unbalanced with the scriptures. There are so many passages in the Bible where clearly man's will, free will, is at play, that God has asked us to pray, that God has challenged men to make decisions. He has told them to take up their cross, etc., and on and on and on it goes. So it's astounding to us when you think about it that God, who is sovereign, who is all-powerful, who, who does not need to... Uh, be responsive to anyone, has chosen in his sovereignty to be affected by men. Take that as you will. Take that away in your own meditations. But in this passage, it says that they were a stubborn, rebellious generation. It doesn't make sense that they would be rebellious if God is the one who is imposing himself upon their will to be rebellious, right? Does it? Hello? What do you think? I don't know. It's a good conversation, but I don't think so. It says, they turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep his commandments. They refused. Isn't there a choice in that word? Refuse? They refused to walk in his law. They forgot his wonders. They sinned even more and more against him by rebelling against the Most High. They tested God. 
They spoke against God. I'm just plucking out phrases from the passage. They did not believe in their God or trust in his salvation. They would flatter with their mouth, but they would lie with their tongue and their heart was not steadfast. And then our text, this is the next part, and they provoked him, they grieved him, they tempted him and they limited him. How is it possible that we could limit God? In unbelief, that's what the, that great story bears out, isn't it? Hebrews 3.19 says they did not enter in because of unbelief. That God had promised, that God had brought the victory, that God had opened the land before them and said, go, take the land. And then there was the confession, oh, we cannot. They did not enter in because of unbelief. They limited God in effect. And we would understand that. Because we know what it means to have unbelief. We know what it means to have pride. We know what it means to choose uh, sin over God. We know what it means to have lust. And even though there's part of me that wants to resist it, this was what Paul spoke about, that very powerful uh, dominance that sin can have in a person's life. We understand what that means. We can limit God through our natural mind, through our, by, um, by yielding to our flesh, our appetite, our lust. But God seeks to challenge our viewpoint. God wants, what desires for us as believers to live above, not to be subservient to our flesh, not to live in this negative or natural viewpoint of life where we only believe that which is possible, but we actually believe something more than that. We believe that God is in our life, that God is able, that God has promised, that God will fulfill his promises. This is a different way of thinking that we have as believers. It's not just natural. It's not just flesh and blood. It's not just time and space, but there is something else in play. It is that God is in our life, that God is in this world, that we are people of faith that we read the scriptures, we hear the scriptures, and the Spirit of God in us bears witness to the truth of it, and we say, Amen. And our lives are different. The way we live our lives are different. The things that we do and the things that we do not do directly connected to what we believe. There's a verse in, uh, in one of the prophets, Zechariah chapter 4. The prophet is warning the people. I'll I'll give the context. The remnant has returned after the captivity. They have laid the foundation to the temple as God promised they would build the temple. And there were some who were looking at it uh, negatively, in unbelief, thinking, really, is the temple going to be finished? Will it be what God has said? And the prophet is sent and he says this in Zechariah chapter 4. He says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And here's a question. And God often asks us questions in our life to challenge our faith. God who knows all things, the end from the beginning. God who who can do, do anything says to us, For who has despised the day of small beginnings? 
Hello? Who? And the prophet speaks, and the spirit convicts, and the people listen, and that question echoes through the hearts. Who has despised the day of small beginnings? Oh, it's a wonderful question. Oh, Lord, may it search our hearts. May it challenge us where we have despised the day of small things. Where we have limited you through unbelief. We're so thankful for the prophet, for the word, for the Holy Spirit to confront our hearts. So that we would be people who do not despise the day of small things, but rather we, we see it differently. We don't despise it, but we value it. We, we love the day of small things because God is here. We understand that this is so often where God works. What do I mean? It's often the empty place that God loves to fill. It's often where the grave is there and the grass is growing over the grave and then there is resurrection. It's the end that God loves to begin. You understand? That God is a redeemer. And by sight we would say, oh, there is no hope. It is too weak. It is empty. There is no provision. And we would, we would lose hope. And, but then God would speak into our life and say, who has despised? Who, who will believe me? Who will hear the promises and who will trust me? Who in this earth, in this country, in this town, in this church, in this place, will believe me? For this is what the world needs it needs people who will believe this book, who will take up their cross, who will live by faith, who will pray, who will speak, who will minister, who will go. It's people who will believe what God says and live by faith. Not in the limitations of that which is natural or possible or convenient but according to what God has said and what God has promised. The wilderness is the perfect place for God to answer. Where the foundation only is laid is the place where God can work. We need to be encouraged in faith. So this phrase, despise the day of small beginnings. Who has despised the day? In other words, what is God saying here? He's saying, listen, be careful. Be careful how you judge things. When you look at that foundation, when you look at that empty whatever it is, when you look at that whether you don't see the answer, be careful how you judge it. And be careful how you look at someone else's situation or someone else's life or even your own life. Be careful how you judge your life. Be careful how you would judge your ministry as a, as a minister or in a church. Be careful how you would judge a seed because God can bring so much from a seed. The natural man would easily take that seed and judge it or that foundation or whatever it might be and he makes his natural judgment and God says, be careful, don't despise that because what you are despising always is the beginning of something great. It's an amazing way to think. In Proverbs chapter 3, we'll be jumping a few different verses to strengthen this tonight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path.
it's, a, it's some verses that are perhaps familiar to us. Yeah, if you're a young person here tonight, I, pray, I would encourage you to memorize that, my children. Any young people or any older people here, memorize these verses. Let these be life verses for you for, for 2023. It says, trust in the Lord, do not lean upon and acknowledge him. That's our part. And the last part is his, and he will direct your path. The problem is, we have the tendency to lean on our own understanding. The Bible says not to do that. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust, acknowledge him, and he will guide your path. There's a familiar story that we'll, we'll land on tonight. The feeding of the 5,000. It's filled with amazing instruction uh, for us because God asks some of these questions. And when God asks the question, he's looking for the answer of faith and he doesn't always get it. <clears throat> In Matthew's gospel, it tells us that as the evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. This was their answer. Okay, Jesus, it's getting late here. We're all a bit tired. I think we should send the people away. They can go back to the villages and they can buy bread. And Jesus said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. He's beginning to set the stage for faith. He's beginning to set the stage for his grace, for a miracle, for him to work. John's gospel adds something to the story. In John 6, verse 5, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, and here's the question, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this was Philip. He was from Bethsaida, that area. He knew the region. He knew where the bakeries were. And he says, hey, Philip, come on, what do you think? What do you say? Look at the crowd. Is that where can we buy bread that these thousands of people can eat? What do you say, Philip? Come on, huh? huh? What's your answer? What are you going to do? Come on, tell me. Listen up, guys. Philip's going to tell What do you say, Philip? He's asking him a question, and he's looking for the answer of faith. Why would he ask this question? And we're told in the next verse. But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Don't you love that? You see, here's the thing. The problem is we are prone to think too little of Christ. We have a tendency to, you know how the Bible says that, um, how does it say, that God created man in his image. And one writer said, and then man returned the favor. And then man created God in his image. We, we limit God. We make God so small. We, make, we humanize him. We limit him. How big is your God? This is what Jesus is saying to Philip. He says, what do you say, Philip? What's the answer? And Philip had an opportunity here to answer in faith. The question wasn't, wasn't for uh, Jesus. For he knew what he would do. The question was for Philip, right? He said this to test him. Oh, 
to squeeze him, to find him, to challenge him, to expand him. Philip, you know, I understand you. I understand how you think and your world can be so small. Your faith can be so narrow. I want to help you. So I've set the stage with all these hungry people. What do you say, Philip? We can lose our our living faith sometimes. We've become very practical, very reasonable, very rational. He wanted to teach the disciples. The disciples had so much to learn of Christ, and so do we, of course. So he asked this question, what do, you, what do you think, Philip? He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. And here is the next verse. Here is Philip's answer. 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. This is as far as Philip's mind could go. The greatest that he could imagine was that which was still not enough. <laughs> if we had 200 denarii, that wouldn't be enough for them to buy, have just a little, but we don't have that anyway. It's as far as he could go. That, w- that wouldn't even be enough for everyone to have a little. Oh, Philip... That's not the best answer. You could have answered that so differently. You could have answered in faith. You could have answered and said, well, you you are God. And you are here. And maybe I I don't know the answer. I don't know exactly how you're going to do it. But because you are here, that is enough. And it doesn't matter if it's 5,000 people or 5 million people in the wilderness. You could rain down manna from heaven if you wanted to. He could have answered that way, but he didn't. He would limit the situation. There's another passage that's similar in Numbers 11. It's speaking about Moses. This is what Moses says in Numbers 11. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them to provide enough for them? Or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to provide enough for them? Moses is having a little hissy fit here. A little emotional tantrum. Okay, Lord, what are we going to do? We slaughter all, we got all the fish to feed them all. And the Lord said, has the Lord's arm been shortened? There's one of those questions. I'm asking you a question, Moses. I know the situation. I know how many people there are. I know how impossible this is. And I'm asking you, has the Lord's hand been shortened? Now you will see whether what I will say will happen to you or not. And of course it does happen. God provides. And of course, this is how our faith grows. It's first and primarily through the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing the word, but also through our blessed experience. For we have seen God be faithful. We have seen God answer. There's a similar story in Genesis 18 when Abraham and Sarah are told that, that Sarah will have a child and they both, there's the laughing and the unbelief and here's the question, is anything too hard for the Lord? I, I imagine he paused for some silence after that to let it really sink and search. He says, at the appointed time I will return to you according to the time of life and Sarah shall have a son. 
Is there anything too hard for the Lord? When you, when you can judge your, your you can uh, determine who God is, you can look at your, you look at God based on your circumstances or look at your circumstances based on who God is. It's a different perspective. We don't walk by sight, but by faith. And of course, then there's the passage in Ezekiel 37. You remember that where God took the prophet in a vision and he brought him to a valley of dry bones. Remember that? Or talk about setting the stage for faith. God says, okay, I'm really going to set the stage. So he brings Ezekiel to this valley. It says it's this huge valley as far as you can see. And it's filled with very many, very dry bones. It's basically an army that's been slaughtered and all that's left are the bones filling the valley. And he brings in there in Ezekiel 37, the hand of the Lord came upon me, brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. And I love this verse. He caused me to pass by them all around. And behold, there were very many in the open valley. And indeed, they were very dry. The Lord caused Ezekiel to go all the way through the valley and behold it and see that there were very many. And wait, Ezekiel, have you been to this corner? Oh, look over here. And have you taken it all in? Have you taken it all in? Because now I have a question for you. Verse 3. Can these bones live? Don't you love that? He wanted to really make sure Ezekiel saw the impossibility of the question and then ask the question and say, how will you answer? Is the hand of the Lord shortened? Am I able? Is God God able to do this? Will these bones live? He's testing his faith like he did with Philip. And of course he answers and says, you know, Lord, that's quite a clever answer. I I know that I can't make them live. I know that I don't know how they will live. But you know, Lord, you know. It reminded me of the story in Mark 9 with the demonized uh, uh, child. And here it says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Notice that, if you can do anything. And Jesus said, if you can believe. Never seen those two phrases together like that before. If you can do anything, and Jesus says, if you can believe. Isn't that amazing? All things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. That reminds me of Ezekiel's phrase, well, you know, Lord, (laughs) I want to believe, I do believe, but help my unbelief. I I understand I need to grow in faith. I need to see your hand work. I need need the blessed experience of, of your answers, and I need faith to flood my heart afresh. I know that I can lose my way. Help me, Lord. Help me in my unbelief, and help me to grow and live by faith. God asks questions and he's looking for faith. It may happen to you and I in 2023 when we come to a situation and God asks the question, 
Is the hand of the Lord shortened? Can these bones live? Do you believe? There's one more question here for us. This is in the story of 2 Kings 4, where there is the widow of a prophet, and her husband has died, and the creditors are going to come and take her sons into slavery. So she cries out to the prophet, and he answers her, and he comes and he says, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she says, Your servant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. And he says, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels. And look at this phrase, do not gather just a few. So I've got nothing, just this jar of oil. It's actually an empty jar of oil, just a jar of oil. That's all I've got. There's nothing else. And he says, go and get vessels, empty vessels. And don't just get a few. How many shall I get? He doesn't say that. He just says, not a few. Well, how many? He doesn't say that. It's up to you. You go, you gather, you bring in the vessels. So what did they do? When you've come in, you shut the door behind you and your sons, and you pour your oil into the empty vessels and set aside the full ones. So imagine in, the, in your mind, there's saucepans and vessels and clay pots and all of these cooking, anything that will hold liquid. They're all just piled everywhere, and the sons are bringing them in, knocking on, can we borrow a pot? Would you, oh, I'll bring it back. They're bringing in all these empty vessels, and, and as she's pouring, and it, miraculously, it just keeps pouring, and keeps pouring. And so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels, and she poured it out. In verse 6, and now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there isn't another vessel, and the oil ceased. It's quite a, quite a message in that story, isn't there? How many vessels will you bring? How many vessels did you bring? I brought these two. Is that it? Yeah. Or, oh, I brought this barrel. I, I, this swimming pool right here. I got three swimming pools outside. You know, how many vessels will we gather? I remember at a conference in Russia one time, all of the people at the stage, and one man asked, and he said, how much of God can I have? And the pastor said, as much as you want. It's up to you. How many vessels will you bring? What will you believe God for in your life, in this day, in 2023? It's up to you. But don't bring a few, bring many. And if I need faith in 2023, how do I get it? I need to hear. I need to be with brothers and sisters. I need to be with people of faith. I need to allow God to help equip me and build my faith. Someone said, well, I have so much trouble in my life and God, it doesn't work for me. The Christian life, it's not working. Okay, well, do you pray? Well... I've prayed a little bit, yeah. Okay, well, do you, you have the Bible in your life? Do you, life? do you read the Bible? Do you hear preaching? Do you have a church? Do you have brothers or sisters? Well, I went like four times last year. Well, okay, well, you, you, you're setting yourself up to fail. You are setting the stage that you will limit God 
because you don't have the capacity to trust him for your life. Or you, you need to bring yourself to the place where you can be built up in faith where you can be equipped, where God can ask you the questions and you can learn to answer in faith and not be a victim, but be a victor because of that. We remember in, the, in, the, in Numbers when the spies came to the border of the land and they said, oh, remember their confession? They said, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. Remember that? And it comes to find out that 40 years later, when the spies came to Rahab, and what did she say? She said, when you came through the Red Sea, the hearts of the people melt because we knew that God was with you. It turned out that what they thought was the case, that they were grasshoppers in the eyes of the Canaanites was not true, but they were actually giants in the eyes of the Canaanites. And it makes us wonder how often we think of ourselves as grasshoppers instead of giants. It's the wrong perspective, for we are not thinking in faith. Let's go back to our story and close. He says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for everyone to have a little. And then Andrew chimes in. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. Oh, okay, stop right there. That's good. Stop right there. Don't, oh, don't say anything else. That would be a good, that's okay to suggest that. You're bringing a little to the hands of God, and a little in the hands of God is enough. But he has to add this thing. But what are they among so many? Oh, there it is. There is the, the natural viewpoint that robs them that limits the situation, could limit the situation. What are they among so many? We would say, well, it's enough if God is in it. If God is here, it's enough. And then he does something really quite bizarre. It says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those who were sitting down, and likewise of the fish, and this phrase, as much as they wanted or needed. It just kept going and just kept going until it says in verse 12, when they were all filled. It's amazing. This is like the first all-you-can-eat buffet in the, right here in the Bible. It just kept coming. It wasn't like Philip, oh, there would be enough for them all to have a little. It says they were all filled. And I don't know if we got any good mathematicians. I do know we got some good mathematicians here. But when you do the math with this, 5,000 men plus five loaves, two fish, and all were filled doesn't make sense, does it? Oh, but it's not finished yet. And then he says to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and they filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Let me just check that again. You know, five baskets, 12 baskets filled with the fragments from the five loaves. What? It would be amazing enough just to turn five loaves to fill 12 baskets. 
But you've got to also remember that thousands of people had already eaten and were full as well. Amazing. And what I love about this, how many baskets were there? Twelve. How many disciples? Twelve. I wonder if they all were able to just hold a basket and just ponder and consider and gather, you know, think about what had happened. Consider the miracle of the loaves, which we all really need to do so often. Let us exhort one another daily while it's called today. Let us walk by faith in 2023 and not by sight. Let us let faith be built in our life by hearing the word of God. Let us realize how the long, how long God's arm is. It's so long, it is not shortened. That God is able, God is faithful, God is with us. And let's walk by faith and believe him for great things this year. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you. I was going to say this morning. We thank you this evening uh, for this time we are gathered in your presence. We thank you for these words to encourage us in our faith. We're on the threshold of a brand new year. And we look back and say, oh God, you have been faithful. And we look forward and say, oh God, you will be faithful. We trust you. We thank you today. Perhaps there is one even here gathered or listening on the live stream. You're not sure of your standing with God. You're not sure of your salvation. Oh, good news is God loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus is the Savior and there is no other. He came to seek and to save that which is lost, to complete us, to fill us with, with blessings in our heart and soul of knowing him, of having joy and peace in a relationship with him. Or in your heart, just say, Jesus, I want to believe today. Oh, I believe, but help my unbelief. I look to you. I, I want to ask you to be my personal savior tonight, that I would have that blessed experience of walking with you, of walking by faith, of knowing you personally. And that's my prayer today on this first day of this brand new year. Jesus, be my savior. Come into my life. Lead me, guide me, bless me, help me. In Jesus' name. And each one gathered here, we pray for those that are uh, not able to be here tonight but watching online. Though we, th we know that there are so many who are challenged uh, with, with health issues and um, different different uh, challenges that they are facing physically with, with doctors and treatment and uh, others with finances and relationships. Oh, Lord, we ask for your answer. You are able, you are faithful. We ask you to answer, to help, to strengthen, to guide, to heal, to reconcile, to comfort. Lord, we ask and pray. Use these words to encourage us in our hearts and lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.